1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 51. This week, King of Tokyo takes on King of New York. This battle will be so epic that even Daniel and Drew, out of fear of their own safety, have fled the city. I mean, come on guys, seriously. This is New York City. We get attacked by a fictional monster every movie season. We will also have our acquisition disorders at the table, and our final round, in which we'll talk about... Our New Year's resolutions. So let's get to it.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at
1: DiceTowerNetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous the podcast about gamers, and the insane fun we have at the table together. Big surprise, Anthony's back with us this week, so... Yeah, but unfortunately, we've lost Daniel and Drew. They're off, once again, doing Hanukkah and Christmas-related duties. Lame, guys. I know. Super lame. The team is
0: back! Yes. The OGs, (laughs) the originals, the founders. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I am here. I am, uh... This is probably a temporary... Segue. I probably won't make it next week or the week after that, but this week, in the three or four days before imminent birth of my second child, I have actually some spare time, so I'm hopping on. actually played some games recently, too, which is weird, so.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when you're expecting your next child, the traditional, you know, activity is board games, as we all know, right, guys? Everybody? Everyone's with me? Right? 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 Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm so with that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of downtime, like once you're actually ready for the child, you're just kind of chilling, hanging out, so.
1: You got that seat available at the table, you're like, come on, need another player, let's go, let's
0: go. (laughs) Yeah, just installed the seat in the car, she's got seats everywhere, need a body to put in the seats.
1: Well, as I said, we're we're glad to have you with us here this week. So here on episode 51, we are going to talk about King of Tokyo versus
0: King of New York, the Battle of the Monsters. It's on. <laughs> this is like one of the most obvious uh, versus episodes we could have made. And I've been waiting to do it since they announced King of New York because it was, you You know people are going to ask. I've asked because I've seen King of Tokyo on sale like 10 times in the last three months. Should I get this or should I wait for King of New York to be out? And uh, in about 46 minutes, we will tell you what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> Shout it from the
1: tabletops!
0: <laughs> Sir, you're gonna need to get down from there. So there's not a ton of news. There's nothing, like, coming out. Most big games that we're gonna hit by the end of the year did. Um, there's a few delays, but that's never news. It's the board game industry. But one cool thing I saw the other day, and this kind of just goes in the whole, like, year of Star Wars thing, because it's gonna be such a cool year. So, if you haven't seen it yet, Imperial Assault is out. There's expansions coming out for that. There's X Wing. There's Armada. Uh, so, Fantasy Flight is going to flood the market with Star Wars stuff, as I'm sure Hasbro's going to and Disney and everybody else. Um, but one cool thing I saw the other day, well, cool or not cool, depending on your opinion, is that uh, they basically had to make up a new ship for X Wing. And I guess what are they calling this thing? The Imperial Raider. Mm. And. It, the reason why, according to Fantasy Flight, is that nothing was really the, the right scale uh, compared to the, uh, the Rebel Corvette. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the Decimator was the next smallest one, and it's that kind of mid-range size right around where the Millennium Falcon is. And then the next one up would be the, um, the Lancer class, which is apparently a lot bigger. So they just made a new one. You know, they said they worked with Lucasfilm and everything, so I don't know, maybe this is something we'll see in one of the new movies, or maybe they just completely just made this up off the top of their heads. Who knows? But it looks kind of cool. It's got, like, this conical uh, look to it. It's just kind of interesting to me that at this point in the game, especially with everything transferring over from uh, Lucasfilm to Disney, Fantasy Flight's kind of getting in the game there and making stuff up, like expanding the universe on their own now to match their game.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad to see this because... I think all the fans out there were really concerned that X-Wing Miniatures was going to be left behind. You know, with Armada coming out and having so many new models and these big ships, it would be easy for Fantasy Flight just to forget them, so it's nice to see that there is actually, you know, new ships coming out.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I don't, I haven't really bought into the whole Epic classes stuff, Um, I don't It'd be awesome to have these on my shelf, but I know I'm not going to play them. So <laughs> spending yeah. $80 on an X-Wing ship is a little outside my range. But I uh, mean, plus,
1: they're very specific. You know, how how you play them, and they have special roles and conditions. You just really, it's very difficult just to slap those down on the table and just play. Although,
0: uh,
1: I'm sure people are going to do that anyway.
0: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, just throw it out there and be like, "All right, just... <laughs> so my Imperial Raider against your nineteen X-wings, go!"
1: <laughs> well, you want to see the big ships kind of fight each other, anyway. So, yeah. it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be some version of that.
0: Yeah, and Fantasy Flight obviously recognized that people want a ship that looks like the Rebel, you know, counterpart. That Carillian Corvette is awesome, but yep. there is no Imperial side to that. So they they and made one, which is you know on its own merit. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. It's not a bad thing. I mean, as a purist, you know, as someone who doesn't acknowledge the existence of the prequels, <laughs> I am always a little concerned when I see new content come out that is not canon. But the ship looks pretty nice, and it makes sense in their universe, and it'll just help the game continue a little bit, and I'm kind of fine with that. It's It's... It's possible and it would be amazing if this ship did show up in the new movies.
0: Yeah, I mean that's one thing when it, they say they partner with Lucasfilm I'm like this might be something that's actually real, you know, mm-hmm. and it must be canon now because everything new moving forward is supposed to be. So, sure. you know, where's it going to show up? It's got to be somewhere, right? If 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 not at, at there maybe in a video game or a book. I don't know, but it looks cool.
1: Yeah, no, and I'm wondering, too, are we going to see new ships, like from the new movies, in X-Wing Miniatures and X-Wing Armada? Is that going to happen, or are they going to bring in the new up-to-date stuff, or is that going to wait a while?
0: I don't know. Yeah. I Because
1: think- they didn't they didn't bring out the prequel stuff at all.
0: No, but I mean, I think with the prequels, you would have had to have new factions, because they're not the same, right? So you have mm-hmm. the Imperials, and you have the Rebels, and then now you have the Scum and Villainy, whereas yes. in the prequels, it would have been uh, Republic, and then whatever the droids were. I don't remember. Those movies were horrible. Um,
1: (laughs) They (laughs) don't exist. I already told you this. Why are you bringing up this banned material?
0: Yeah, I mean, at least Fantasy Flight recognizes that. They're like, we're not going there. Nobody wants that. Um, Some of those ships looked cool, too. I just, I don't want, like, I wouldn't want the cards or the characters. It's just, I'm happy with the way it is.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: All right. So, yeah, Star Wars stuff. I'm sure I'll have plenty more to talk about on the Star Wars front in the next few months. I think 2015 is going to be, I don't know if I could say oversaturated. If you're not a huge Star Wars fan like me, it might feel oversaturated at a certain point. Uh, I'm super excited. So, but uh, (laughs) for now, I mean, I think news wise, we didn't have a ton. I think what we were going to do instead is kind of talk about more like the stuff that happened this last year. I know, Chris, that you submitted a bunch of stuff to. Tom and Eric over at the Dice Tower recently, right?
1: The head capo of our family, Tom Vassel, sent out a request and wanted us to respond to a number of different categories. So if you haven't checked out the, the most recent Dice Tower Network episode, you should absolutely check that out. A lot of great contributors putting up content there. And he asked for a bunch of different decisions and games that we thought and news that we felt was interesting. So we thought what we would do is cover some of our responses and give you a, give you a kind of like a little look into our best and worst of the year. So to start off with, our year as a whole, it's been great to connect with all the listeners and fans out there. We thank you so much each and every week for downloading the episodes and reaching out to us and your emails and tweets and everything really gets us going, so keep that up. That was at least part for me what was so iconic about the year. And in addition to that, the service that we were able to do with the Extra Life event, our second annual one, and just making connections out to the community and bringing new people into what we do and the social community and the great fun that everyone could have together. Probably one of the most interesting things was we joined the Dice Tower Network this year. So that was a that was a big honor. I mean, I listened to Dice Tower Network and so many of his um, Tom Vastel's shows for so many years.
0: Completely agree with both of those. It's you know, it was a cool year in multiple ways. You know, kind of getting past that hump where you're like, all right, cool. This is something we're going to keep doing. This isn't just like a hobby project thing on the side you know get up in the double digits halfway to a hundred episodes you know having hundreds of people listening to us every week sending us comments asking us questions that was just really cool and meeting people too you know at events like extra life or you know down up in um boston at pax east and having them tell us you know like oh yeah i've heard your podcast and this and that you know like it was just like Kind of surreal, but, <laughs> but also really cool just to connect with people in that way. And then, you know, the Dice towers definitely made it a lot easier for us to do that. It significantly increased the number of people who, who know who we are now. <laughs> Occasionally getting dragged into those Twitter conversations between, you know, other people on the network when they're asking each other questions about games, which is always awesome when I'm at work and my phone starts lighting up. But yeah, it's been a really cool year for that, like kind of validating all the work we did last year and just. Opening up all these cool opportunities to keep you know keep moving, keep growing, keep doing new stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's been an amazing time. You know, we do take the podcast and we take the hobby very seriously, but we do not take ourselves seriously. So, <laughs> speak for really...
0: yourself.
1: <laughs> Good day to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the podcast, all the listeners out there, and the great fans, and um, especially uh, kicking the habit to be able to start a second podcast in our first year that's completely there for fans to help you find you know these rare gems out there amongst all of the unfortunate garbage that happens to happen on Kickstarter, help you avoid those bad projects, but find the good ones too. So having Kick in the Habit every week on Wednesday has been a really great way to connect. And if you haven't listened to it before, check it out because there is some outstanding stuff on Kickstarter that you need to know about.
0: Yeah, man. Helps me out. I've saved a ton of money on Kickstarter. <laughs> don't back
1: this, don't back this. And on the other side, doing that podcast has made me buy a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have had somebody who has acquisition disorder do a podcast about Kickstarter.
0: <laughs> I don't think we have somebody who doesn't have acquisition disorder. About a podcast about Kickstarter. Um, but I'm,
1: I'm very uh, thorough with that, so that's always a good thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, at least, you know, we get the uh, the third look once the game comes in. It's true.
1: So some other topics that uh, Dice Tower Network asked us to take a look over is our biggest news story in board games for this year. So, Anthony, what was your biggest news story?
0: Uh, I mean, that was easy. I mean, lots of good games, lots of good events. But I think the stuff that really shocked us, um, at least, you know, me personally, at least, were all these mergers. You know, yes. Fantasy Flight getting bought up by Asmodee. The, the bigger companies in American board games just kind of being swallowed up by this European company which is growing their reach. And that's, you know, whether it's good or bad for the hobby, it, nobody se- can seem to re- really agree. So we'll have to wait and see. But it's it was a big story either way, and I think it's going to be kind of a harbinger of what we're going to see next year. At the very least, we'll see it impact things like distribution and availability of certain games. But it might also start to impact how quickly games get out which people are working on what i don't know it's a, the when things start consolidating like that you get larger companies you get all the things that come with larger companies so it'll be interesting to see what happens
1: and we're also hopeful that eventually day will acquire board gamers anonymous so any day guys <laughs> we're, we're fine with that you know we welcome our overlords and masters
0: <laughs> oh, swallow us up please <laughs> pay for our uh- habit
1: Alright, so another topic that we were asked about was biggest surprise. So, Anthony, what was your biggest surprise this year?
0: Um, You know, I we were just talking about this a little bit ago uh, on the biggest surprise slash biggest disappointment. I, I can't really disagree with you on the WizKids front. It was like, um, and you know, for me this fell under biggest disappointment because I really wanted this game. And I did not have it for months and months and months. And by the time I got it, nobody was playing anymore. But it was also really surprising because this is a company that already makes these, like, highly addictive, you know, lifestyle games in WizKids. And they had a new one with a very popular IP with packs that cost a dollar. Like, how did they not think this was going to be big? And yet they completely dropped the ball with Dice Masters, which was just kind of, you know, it blew my mind how long this went on. Uh, I think it took, like, five five months before anybody could really buy this product. And then the second version of it came out. And by then, you know, I picked up the uh, the X-Men version and, and everybody else did. And there are still thousands of them sitting around and nobody's playing it. So um, kind of surprising how badly that went for them. And that's not even the only game that they messed up this year. They had a bunch of other delays and, you know, hopefully didn't cost themselves a fortune by overprinting this stuff after... Messing up the first print run. You know, it's unfortunate when something like that happens, but it was more unfortunate because I wanted it. And then when I got it, nobody else wanted it anymore. Come on, guys. Come on.
1: <laughs> Another area he asked us about was best components for this year. So did you have a, a game that felt had the best components for 2014?
0: Um, I don't know. I didn't really think about that one too much. I'm not like a huge component guy. Oh. Uh, I really like anything in the... Like, the Battle of the Five Armies is pretty nice. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. If Imperial Assault makes it under my tree, which we have not opened those yet, that looks pretty <laughs> nice. <laughs> Even if it doesn't, it looks pretty nice. Like, give that one a go. Really, anything with miniatures. That's not really, like... There's a lot of other components in a game that can make it look nice. If it has got beautiful miniatures, I'm pretty much happy.
1: Mm. Yeah, I talked about Lords of Zidit, which oh, is a yeah. game that, that we looked at a lot. It's in the season's kind of Dixit esque universe a ton an absolutely ton of little miniatures chits screens player boards just outstanding number of really high quality artwork in the game and it was just like kind of blew your mind you just looked at it, and you were like wow if it wasn't for the fact that it was a pure programming game this might be one of the best games of the year
0: yeah, I was so excited for that one, and then I found out it was programming, and I hate programming. It's a mechanic, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm out, I'm out, I'm
1: out." Yeah, yeah. Another uh, area that we were asked to talk about was best art. I brought up Abyss. I don't think you've had an opportunity to play this yet, Anthony. But have you seen the uh, the artwork for it?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. That art looks amazing.
1: It's the same artist who did Dixit Journey, and man. The idea that they can just put the piece of artwork on the cover, don't even put the name of the game on there, and then go even further to have five different covers for their game. So you get, when you purchase online, you get this random box with this artwork. I got actually pretty lucky. I got the one I wanted. It's this green kind of mermaid fish person with like a kind of a horn, like a unicorn horn. So I opened the box. I was like, yes, I got the one I wanted. But uh, all of them are outstanding, and the artwork on the inside is really interesting. And it's it's a completely different world than I think I've ever seen in a board game before, at least art wise. This under you know this fish Atlantis kind of utopia environment, pretty interesting.
0: I the actual mechanics of what I've heard about the game haven't really blown my mind, but everything I've seen of it, um, it just looks really awesome.
1: Now, another category was Worst Game of 2014. Did you have a Worst Game there, Anthony?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw your list, and uh, I can't argue (laughs) with this one. I picked this game up, so anytime you pay money out of your own pocket for a game, you don't want to admit that it was horrible. But, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones Westeros intrigue. And it's not even that the game itself is bad. It's just, you know, it's vanilla, boring, blah. It's just such a (laughs) cash-in. It's insulting, you know?
1: It's it's a game, it was a it was a game originally meant for kids, and, you know, sometimes we talk about a pasted-on theme, is this not the quintessential pasted-on theme? Like, so you almost bad. want to try to, you almost want to try to pull the edge off to see if it actually is pasted on.
0: Yeah, seriously, this was, it has not hit the table. We played it twice, um, like, as a filler, I think for like 15 minutes, uh... I don't know, six months ago, whenever it came out, like that weekend, has not come out since, probably will not come out again. Um, This kind of game is the reason you should listen to our podcast so that you do not spend your money on such things.
1: Anthony took a bullet for you guys. I'm not, you know, I'm just saying. so. So our next category was best card game. So I put down and let everyone know about diamonds. Now, Anthony, we all know how much you love (laughs) trick-taking games you actually picked this up
0: i did but to be fair it was on sale and (laughs) it was within my uh, free shipping limit on the day before thanksgiving i have also not opened it yet nor have i played it so i don't have an opinion uh, but it does have cool little screens and uh, little tokens so if you give me something tangible to hold with my trick-taking game maybe i won't dislike it we'll see I do okay. need to own these kinds of games for the family, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I do look forward to playing it, and I do have family here in the next few days, so it will probably come out, and I will let everybody know the next time I'm on whether or not I approve <laughs> of this <laughs> trick-taking game.
1: Well, it'll be high praise if you do like the game. <laughs> if if. So I talked about best party game, and there was a lot of there's a lot of good games, you know, in this kind of category this year. Honestly. 2014 as a year for board games is, is kind of hit and miss for me. We can kind of talk about that a little bit more, but as far as party games go, there were some pretty good ones. Did you have a favorite?
0: Uh, I'm not big on party games in general, but um, the one that we played a couple times that I thought was pretty awesome was the One Night Ultimate Werewolf. The Taking out that one element that everybody hates, uh, being eliminated in a 45-minute game, uh, kind of made it for me. That's like instantly made the game a lot better. And it sure. takes like 15, 20 minutes now, which is even better better.
1: Well, if you want to get a large group of people together, you could play our best cooperative game, and that would be Dead of Winter. Now, i got to say, this was surprising for me because there's the market is honestly flooded with zombie games, which seems fitting, right? So all of these brain-dead, boring lifeless zombie games and then they're like oh Plathead's bringing out a zombie game and you're like oh no 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 i don't want to play that and had the opportunity to play dead of winter and was shocked that it's actually fun and i don't know what you know i i'm just i'm still surprised to stay we, we talked about this we had a full review a feature you know a feature review on this so go back and check that one out but uh It's the zombie game that doesn't rely on zombies to be interesting, which is great. And it has everyone's playing together. But what's really interesting is you have a secondary goal. So, you know, the first goal is everyone has to win, everyone has to survive. And the secondary goal is you have this special player goal, which if everyone wins and you get this secondary goal, like for example, you maybe you had to have all the weapons, or maybe you had to have a certain number of food you know, hidden away or something like that, then that was a secondary goal. So everyone could win, but you could not win because you didn't complete your secondary role. And then there was a traitor mechanic too that someone else is trying to mess with you a little bit. But instead of kicking them out completely, you they play a secondary role while they're outside and they can still win too. So had a lot of different dimensions to it and it's pretty interesting. All right, so for our best children's game... Doodle Quest. Anthony, have you played Doodle Quest?
0: No. No, but I heard... Um, who was it? I think it was Eric Summer talking about this from uh, their Gen Con episode. Anytime you get to draw on the game, I'm uh, I'm interested, if nothing else. That's not, <laughs> it's a rare mechanic.
1: Sure. And it's a really simple game. Basically, you're getting this little board that has this piece of artwork to it, and then you have this transparency, which you take on the side... And then depending on what the task is for that board, you might have to draw a line that hits everything, or you might have to draw a certain shape that fits into a certain area, and then you take the transparency back and you place it on the board, and you see, you, know, you, you see what your score is. You see what you've accomplished. So it's pretty simple. Pretty much you can play with anybody. I mean, if you just scribble on it, you're like, hey, I did something here, and it was kind of fun. For most innovative game, I put down Tragedy Looper. Now, you picked this up.
0: I did, yes, and I'm 80% sure I could play it at this point. Um, <laughs> well, not you have to have not seen this game yet, the books are... There's two books, uh, one for the Mastermind and one for everybody else, and it's a lot to read. Yes.
1: Well, worst case scenario, if you if you're not sure, you can always go back in time and make sure that it's all done right the first
0: time. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, I mean, this game is definitely unlike anything else I've seen or heard of. I think for my most innovative game, I might have given a nod to Alchemists or XCOM, this whole like idea of bringing the app into the game. Sure. Um, but that's not even, I mean, it's new, but it's not even that, like, be you know, it's not beyond the scope of what you would imagine. Sure. Um, there's so many board game apps already, people are already using them to augment the games, so it was kind of like a next step. The way Tragedy Looper works is just like... It's literally mind-bending. It's supposed to be mind-bending. And then the way you play kind of against the mastermind here, if you can actually fight through all these rules and get to da- get to the table with a group of people who know how to play, uh, it seems like the payoff is ex- just completely worth it. And then it's going to be unlike anything you've ever played before. So it's definitely a toss-up, but you know I-, I can't argue with your choice on this one.
1: Yeah, anytime that you can get time travel right, especially in a board game, that's outstanding.
0: Yeah, nobody gets that right in anything.
1: (laughs) No matter how many times they go back, they never get it right. No. (laughs) So our next category was Strangest Game. This was Zaya Legends of a Drift System. Now, this was a Kickstarter game, and what's interesting about this game is it can be played both as a Euro game and as an Ameritrash game, and it's this epic kind of universe where you get these ships and you're trying to accomplish different goals. So you could be just basically a trader and a merchant who's going around picking up cubes, dropping cubes off scoring points that way or you could be a pirate trying to rip off that person of their cargo or you could be running around blowing people up. So it has a lot of different elements to it. It has custom miniatures that are all painted, thick tiles great artwork, metal coins which we always like to see So, really high quality, and because it plays as a Euro and plays as a meriturish, it's really weird and different.
0: Yeah, that's definitely unlike anything I've ever heard. And all the reviews for this game are borderline hilarious. Like Listening to people try to explain how this game works and why they like it, almost everything they say makes it sound bad, but they're so excited (laughs) that I can't help to also be excited. Like, okay, so it takes about four hours... And there's no rules. It's a sandbox game. You do whatever you want. And <laughs> you can mess with everybody or nobody. <laughs> and it's like, what are you talking about? This sounds horrible and amazing. And I want to play so much. But... <laughs> so strange is definitely the right word for this one.
1: It's true. Now for our best expansion, this was a hard one. But Seven Wonders Babble kind of ekes it out a little bit. There was an expansion for Bruges. And there was also, you know, the Carillion Corvette for X-Wing Miniatures, which is kind of an expansion. And I thought that was a nice addition. But Seven Wonders Babble, to have the opportunity to really succeed in what Seven Wonders has been trying to do for a long time, which is get everyone involved at the table, is really a, a next step for this game, and not just a couple of additional cards added to the set.
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't played that one yet, and I'm really excited to play it, so I'm not going to disagree on that at any point there. Um I think the big one for me, the one that like really blew my mind is uh the second expansion for Mice and Mystics. Okay. Um they did a full box expansion, so it's you know, multiple boards, it adds a third layer to the game. You can now play as more characters, there's a lot more enemies. Like the sec the first expansion was really light. The Heart of Glorm was, you know, I think it was 5 or 6 extra chapters and one or two extra miniatures in the box um this new one is the size of the base game so it's got so much more stuff in it uh they they literally like doubled the size and scope of the game with this new expansion um and it just looks gorgeous so that's for me as a mice and mystics junkie um that's the one that i thought really kind of nailed it this year
1: so the next category is best reprint there's been a number of really great reprints this year but for me, what a reprint really should do is bring a game back out to the table that's been sitting on the shelf.
0: Yeah, this one was awesome looking. Um, <laughs> I had a, like, a weird relationship with this one because when it first came out, I really, really, really wanted it. Um, so I have the base game and I have most of the expansions and I've played it a bunch of times now and loved it every time. Um, but really, really, really dislike the components in the base game. The, I mean, the cubes and stuff are just they are what they are, the cubes and stuff. But the paper money is just, ugh, can't handle paper money. So, <laughs> and obviously I could replace that at any time with other stuff, but the new version comes with plastic coins, um, which are much better and easier to keep track of. And you're not going to lose them quite as easily or rip them. Uh, the components now look like the things they represent. The actual, um, the The power plants you put down are, look more like power plants. The board's bigger. It's everything's bigger and better and more refined visually and tact. You know, uh, in terms of tactile, and so it's a better experience in that sense. Which really just covers the one thing about Power Grid that annoyed me. So uh, the only problem I had early on is it was like super expensive for what you were getting. It's like it's a lot better, but it was like double the price of the base game. Yeah. So, fortunately, I got this as a gift. Christmas from Chris, so now I have it, and I'm definitely going to use this over the base game because it looks so much better.
1: So next category is Biggest Brain Burner, and we have Hyperborea. Now, if you've seen this game, you're probably confused like I was. It looks like an Ameritrash game. It looks like your traditional kind of Rune Wars game where you have these mages and warriors kind of tracking over these hex squares and taking over different territories, and yet... When you take a look at the player boards and what they want you to do, it's very much a euro game. So you're actually moving a lot of cubes to make a lot of more cubes that makes more cubes and then eventually at some point you your brain breaks and you fall down and you start crying because <laughs> the cubes just never end. So <laughs> it's a it's a hardcore euro in an Ameritrash skin. So be warned, it's it's in there. There are heavier euro games out there like panamax but honestly this one's gonna trick you and burn your brain out really quick
0: <laughs> yeah that's a funny category i don't feel like i played any like big brain burners this year i almost avoided them and like i like those kind of games once you master them but like i did not play panamax i did not play um i did not play kanban automotive revolution i did not played any of these like super heavy duty games um Plenty of games I played that were, you know, a little tough to learn, but nothing like brain burning. But uh, Hyperborea, I've heard, is an interesting experience. So
1: I think this year was a very light year for Euro games.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a mid year, like a, that medium weight Euro trend is, you know, in full effect right now.
1: Sure. And pretty much everything we've seen on Kickstarter was micro games, which was just really depressing. So
0: I know. I know. they've been good to be fine, but they're not all good. Most of them are not. true.
1: All right, our next category is favorite gaming event. Now, there are some really good events that we went to this year, but probably our favorite as a group has got to be the Board Gamers Anonymous second annual Extra Life event. What do you think, Anthony?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Extra Life is always fun. You know, you get a bunch of people together, especially people you know. You have a lot of fun. You play games. You raise money for an extremely worthwhile charity. Um it's always a blast, you know. And we went to PAX this year as well, and that was also a lot of fun. But this, you know, Extra Life, is it stands on its own because it's, A, it's in our backyard. Uh, B, it's a chance for us to, get, you know, kind of hang out with people and talk to them about games directly. And uh, C, again, we're raising money for a great cause. So everything we're doing is worthwhile.
1: So now, on for our best game of 2014, King of New York. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um this might be a bit of a spoiler on that but um Shh. <laughs> I I liked King of New York a lot and I've I've just played it the one time now I've uh, got my first peek at it but it's you know just it, it's strong refinement in a lot of ways other games that I thought were really good this year uh, Imperial Settlers I think was a very strong game and Definitely there's some criticism there that needs expansion, which they're working on. There's one coming out, like, any week now. And, th- I mean, that's game I've played the most of anything I bought this year by far. Partially because of the solo mode and playing with my son, but it's, you know, it's lived up still. Like, it's not, I'm not to the point now where I'm like, please stop making me play this stupid game. I'm still having fun <laughs> with it. Like, 20, 30 plays in. And then Battle of the Five Armies is another one that was just, like, amazing. Finding a way to refine something as amazing as War of the Ring and make it quicker and more accessible, That's that was impressive on its own. Because War of the Ring is awesome, but good luck getting it to the table if you have mostly casual gamer friends and or family who are not going to play a six-hour game.
1: And then the last category was, what are you looking forward to in 2015? How about it, Anthony? Uh,
0: well, for me, um, probably for all of us, I mean, we're definitely planning on hitting up uh, at least Gen Con this year. Last year, we didn't really get the chance to hit the major conventions. Didn't, didn't plan early enough, I think, was our, our biggest failure on that front. And this year, we are definitely planning. We are fully expected to, to make it out to Indianapolis uh, in July. So that, even now, like months away, I'm like super excited for that.
1: Yeah, I just think the opportunity to meet all the other podcasters, the publishers, the designers, and especially all the listeners out there who are going to be at Gen, Gen Con would be an amazing opportunity just to be able to sit down with these people and play a game and just be like, I've listened to you. And they're like, I've listened to you. And you're like, awesome, let's play games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll be cool. All right, well, that's our best of 2014 and some of our worst of 2014. So here's to hoping that 2015 is a great year for Board Gamers Anonymous and that hopefully we'll get to see you all at Gen Con. And now, our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos. And, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See? That's not too much. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need the expansion. All right, now. So let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Anthony, what do you got for us?
0: All right. So... I haven't been on the podcast in about a month, so I'm allowed to talk about this again. Um, Imperial Assault.
1: Okay, we'll <laughs> allow
0: it. Yep, yep. It's been a month. It's been a month. Um, yeah, it's there's nothing new has happened. Nothing new has been announced. Nothing new, other than the fact that the game is now officially released. Nothing has changed. Um, but everything I've seen, heard, read, watched, awesome. Really excited. This is definitely um, a game that I fully plan in some form or another, playing heavily in 2015. And I want to buy all the different packs to go with it. So uh, I think there's like 8 of them or 6 of them coming out in the next 2-3 months after the game releases. Uh, I will probably have all of those. And uh, we'll be painting them as my uh, daughter sleeps. So that'll be how I spend my uh, time off.
1: Well, at least the, pol- the color schemes are pretty simple, right? Stormtrooper's white and black, Dark Vader's black, you know, a lot of beige jedis you know
0: true true white is really hard to paint so i'm actually waiting to last on the stormtroopers but darth vader should be yeah i could getting that like that shine on there is a little rough but you know the base coat is just dip it in black so
1: are you going to do something like some neon for the lightsaber
0: i don't know i might have to hit the forums on that i've been trying to like (laughs) brainstorm how to do it i like i might need some help on that one
1: I'm sure someone's going to have a some, somehow be able to stick an LED in there somewhere to light it up.
0: <laughs> <Do you? laughs> oh man, but now that you've said that,
1: hmm. hmm. <laughs> One of my acquisition disorders, and I talked about this quite often, is the DC deck building games. I admit I'm a little bit of an addict when it comes to this potato chip type of game. It's light, it's simple. It's not the hardcore Euros that I often choose above and beyond anything else. But there's just something about the simplicity, the fun, and the theme with the DC Deck Builders games that just keeps us coming back more and more. So they will be releasing DC Deck Building game Rivals. Now, we talked about this really briefly a while ago. Now, this is a two-player version of their deck building game. And the first one that they're releasing is Batman versus Joker, because clearly you got to do that, right? Of any of them, right? In this two-player game, you can get to play either as the Batman or as the Joker, and it has some special rules where you'll be confronting each other back to back, and you'll be using special cards to attack each other in order to knock each other out. It has that kind of, at least initially, it looks like it has that kind of mechanic of Star Realms, where it's a deck builder game, but you're just basically going after each other back to back. So this could be the version of the DC Deck Builder game that really legitimizes it as a real solid game because Star Realms does so well because it just plays this, I'm building a deck, you're building a deck, we're attacking each other, we're using the best of both, and, you know, it's a simple, fun game.
0: <laughs> I feel like uh, Cryptozoic is just like, all right, all right, there's a mechanic we haven't used yet. Let's throw that <laughs> in the DC Deck Builder and... Um we'll wait for board gamers anonymous to do their versus episode and we'll see if we pull it off or not. Did we pull it off? Almost. Oh, mm, we'll try again.
1: Seriously, cryptosau, you, you guys got to stop. You're killing me here. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> give, you got to you got to give me 6 months to, to kind of, you know, bounce back from these things. I mean, but uh yeah, it seems like they see a great mechanic out there and they grab it. You know, Crisis really didn't meet the threshold for me. It was okay. I picked it up. I kind of enjoyed it. I don't think it's going to hit the table anytime soon unless there's something added to it. But a two-player kind of Star Realms idea might work here.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see that.
1: And I'm guessing because it's two separate decks, you're going to have decks that are specifically for those characters. So you won't have a situation like you do with DC Deck Builder where as a hero you have villains in your deck. You know, So this might actually be more thematic in that way.
0: That'll be cool. I know that's something that bothers a lot of people.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So what else you got, Anthony?
0: Um, well, not a ton. I mean, there's the... I don't know much about it yet, but the 2.0 edition of Game of Thrones LCG sometime in 2015, that'll be kind of cool. But I think we talked about that a little bit a while back when they announced they were doing that. Um, also got a bunch of stuff, you know, the holiday sales, of course. Uh, finally got my own copy of Battle 2nd Edition. So awesome. Something that's been on my uh, to buy list for a while. And then they have a couple expansions for that coming out, I think in the next month or two. Um, Unfortunately, they're just new armies and new units for each of the two existing factions. Um, I kind of, when we did our review of the original game, I kind of postulated that they would probably release an expansion with the other two factions this year. They did not, which sucks. So, (laughs) the Crystal doesn't have his elves. But elves, where
1: are my elves?
0: Here's hoping we they sell enough of these expansions that in 2015 at Gen Con we see the elves and the undead. And we can finally round out all the Terranoth factions. Um, because right now it's just the two and they can make those two as big as they want. But if somebody doesn't like one of the two, they're not going to get the game. So we need more.
1: Hinton, hint, quote, quote, this guy over here. Yes, <laughs> yes. But you did pick up the app, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the app. Um, yeah, the app for iOS released maybe a month ago, and that it was—it's actually a surprisingly good rendition of the game. Um, and there's a bunch of story stuff thrown in and some scenarios. And honestly, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to much of that because I was just kind of getting into the a remembering the rules and b kind of playing around with the, like the way the map set up. It's—it's um, it's a barely decent, you know, breakdown of. A, the I mean, the mechanics are all there. It is the game in full. Um, the only problem I really have with it is sometimes it's hard to see the units, They're like at the, like the zoom level that they have by default. So if you're looking at the map, especially if it's like a night map, so if it's dark, it's kind of hard to see where everything is, you know, from a overview kind of general's perspective, you can always see the units that you're highlighting, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a minor problem, but it, it's uh as a whole, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. Game plays pretty quick and I get to play Battle or on the subway. So I was I was pretty psyched about that.
1: Nice. Alright, so one of the acquisition sources I have now this game is only some rumor and some photos, so there really isn't a lot out about that right now, but Scythe, the Jamie Stegmeyer game from Stonemeyer Games, that is as and I'm gonna quote this here. Scythe is a board game set in an alternate history in the 1920s. It's a time of farming and war, broken hearts, and rusted gears, innovation, and valor. Think of it as Agricola meets Kemet with asymmetric factions.
0: Sweet. <laughs> Done. <laughs> They're like, what nine things do board gamers like? <laughs> rusted gears, farming, yeah, Kemet... Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, Alan Stone and Jamie stegmeier they know what they're doing.
1: Jeez. Let me read a little more to you because I'm I'm bringing you in here because this is going to be a Kickstarter game and we'll review it on Kicking the Habit as soon as it gets out there. But um, players work as individuals or pairs using a communication uh, mechanic expanding the game up to 10 players to lead their country to victory by conquering territory. Good. Recruiting new villagers and troops. Now, here's the thing. Each with a unique name, story, and skill set. These are not, as it says in here, these are not faceless generic soldiers, reaping resources which will stay on the map and drawing an opponents' attention to certain areas if players stockpiles, you know, certain resources, and building monstrous mechs. Dude. A, I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're gonna cram everything in this game. <laughs>
1: And it also says it has no player elimination. It has a few miniatures, but most characters will be represented by cardboard standees, which I'm not so thrilled about, but it might work okay. And each country is completely asymmetric, which I love. I don't like when I'm playing the same exact, you know, characters or, you know, player star location it doesn't have anything different to it. So this really has my acquisition disorder, like, you know, going overboard right now. I'm looking, really looking forward to this game.
0: Yeah, no, I am too. Ah uh, even your <laughs> stupid Kickstarter stuff.
1: <laughs> so hopefully this will come out sometime in late January they're talking about, but you never know a Kickstarter. It's it's always a little bit of hit and miss there.
0: Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on that now though. That sounds awesome. Like I know. I don't know I'll, we'll see if he can make all of that work together, but that's if it does, wow.
1: It's all the good things that we like, so and they have such a good history with their previous campaigns, so this should should be great. And now, at the
0: table with BGA.
1: All right, so let's talk about what's hitting our table this week. You have anything hitting your table, Anthony?
0: All right, so, uh, as we've established, I am at home, and <laughs> I have not been playing a lot of games with the group as a whole. Um, so what I've been doing a lot lately is playing solo games. Um, my son's awake, we play Imperial Settlers, he likes to cart around all the pieces. Um, another one him and I have been playing, though, and this is mostly because it's quick, but also because it has the little life tokens that are, you know, wood pieces he can move around, and I let him play with the cards because it's not a big deal, I'm not playing with other people, Uh, and that's Friday. Uh, this is like a Friedman Freeze game, and he's the designer of Power Grid, and it's designed only for solo play. So most of these games that have solo play are designed as, uh, usually they're cooperative to some degree, sometimes they're Euros, um, like Agricola or Caverna, uh, or worker placement games in which you could theoretically play it by yourself, and you're basically playing for high score. Friday is only a solo game, um, which makes it really unique because it's strictly solitaire, it's designed for that, it's actually a deck builder, which is kind of interesting, and it's based on Robinson Crusoe, so hence Friday um, The goal of the game is basically just to survive um you know the whole idea of Robinson Crusoe you're on this you know desert island, you're trying not to succumb to the elements and the monsters and the animals in the jungle um and to do that, you start the game with a bunch of. Uh, pretty bland cards. Most of them don't do anything. Uh, They all have numbers on them, which are your attack values. And some of them are negative. Some of them are zero. And a a small number of them are ones or twos. And you're basically going to attack something or fight something every round or every turn. So you'll pick one of two cards. You'll go after it and you'll have to reach a certain number based on which round you're in of the game. There's three rounds. Um, It gets harder each round. And one of the ways that you can weed out the bad cards from your deck is, is if you lose to one of these challenges, um, whether because you can't beat it or because you choose to lose on purpose, you lose life points. And if you lose life points, you can get rid of as many cards as you lose life points. So you might lose on purpose uh, by two or three because you just drew three cards that are cruddy and you don't want them in your hand anymore. Um, At the same time, though, every time you reshuffle your deck, you have to add an aging card, which is always horrible, and if you get to the bottom of the aging deck, they're really bad, like minus fours, and they're just going to make you lose. So the game, on its base mode, it's pretty hard to beat. I think we win it about half the time uh, when Jack plays with me, and if that gets a little too easy, which we might be approaching soon, you can up the difficulty by putting more aging cards in the deck, or... Um, tweaking the rules. There's actually rules in the back of the book to make it harder. It's it's a fun little game. It takes about twenty to thirty minutes. Um, I can shoot through it pretty quick now because I know what I'm looking at, and it's legitimately challenging. That's something Imperial Settlers does not have going for it. That game is relatively easy to play solo, and there's no way to make it harder. So this one's fun. It's a small little box, so I think it's like ten or fifteen dollars, and uh, it's pretty perfect for solo play. And you can play it over and over again because you're gonna get a different draw every time and you have to tweak your rules you know tweak your tactics every time to uh, make it work
1: i don't know why they don't release more solo games that's pretty surprising
0: yeah i don't know i don't know what the market is or if there is one like i see a lot of people do it i've heard a lot of other podcasters mention that they'll play solo occasionally but i mean the whole the whole hobby is built around socialization so i can see like whether it's Based on hard numbers, or if it's just assumptions by executives that people don't want to play these games by themselves, I don't know. I own a lot of games you can play solo, and basically any co-op game can be played solo. So it is fun if it's done right. If it's too easy, it's not fun. If it's too hard, it's not fun. So finding that right middle ground is tough. But a dedicated solo game like this? Awesome
1: one of the games I was able to get to the table was No Thanks. Now, this is a bit of a classic game from 2004. So it has some years on it, and it looks like it has some years. The Z-Man Edition has this really basic look to it. It's this blue and this orange. And, you know, it looks kind of as something that your grandparents would pick up, you know, playing at a church social. But No Thanks is, once again, one of these simple, deceiving games that's actually a lot of fun. Now, basically what you're getting is a deck of cards and a couple of, you know, red little token chits, and you're going to have cards from two all the way up to 35, and then randomly nine cards are taken out of that deck. You are trying to make the lowest score possible. So the deck of cards flips over a card, and if it's your turn, you'll have the opportunity to either take that card, and you probably want to take the lowest card possible, or you place a little token on it and say, no thanks, and then the next person can take it or so forth. They put a token and it moves around and around. So the idea is to get the lowest cards possible, but when you do get stuck with a card, what you can do is you can create a run. So if you get a 19 and you had a 16, but if you get an 18 and 17, the only points that you're going to be scoring is the lowest card of that run. So it's totally possible to get stuck with some big cards early in the game, but be able to whittle it down. It's a very light, it's a very simple game. It plays with a wide group of people. It's fun. You know, it's one of those surprising games that you never think would be fun, but it's fun because it has this strategy. It has this push your luck element because there'll be times when you need a card to fit with your run. But, you know, every token they put on there is a minus one. So you really want to get those tokens at the same time. So sometimes you push it a little bit further. Sometimes it works to your advantage. Sometimes not so much.
0: Yeah, this is one of those rare, um, trick-taking games I enjoy, so, if that means anything. (laughs) It means a lot! (laughs) Uh, yeah, but it's a fun one, and, um, yeah, I would play it anytime it comes out. It's, it's, uh, it's quick, it's easy, it's not, there's no time at which you can't do something, and I think that's one of the lines for me with a trick-taking game. If there's a round or a full game in which you don't do anything or can't because of random luck, um... I don't like those kind of games. This is not one of those games. You always have a choice. You can always make a decision, based on, uh, you know, how many, how you want to bluff and how you want to play those those coins that you got. All right. So also on the uh, solo front, the Lord of the Rings card game uh, from Fantasy Flight. This one is it's designed as a two player game as a co op, but the rules are built for solo play as well. So it's one to two players. Um, I know that a lot of people have said that playing solo is actually a bit harder. Um, There's not really any difficulty tweaks for a variety of reasons. I guess it gets tougher. Um, I've played it a few times now. Again, I think I win about half if I'm lucky. So part of that too, is just learning the decks Um, out of the box, the base game, there are four different decks and they correspond to these four different kind of categories or schools, uh, different abilities or characters that you can draw. And, the cards that you're gonna be able to play are based on the heroes that you use. and at the start of the game, you'll have three characters, three heroes. Um, and then those will add to your threat level that at the beginning of the game and the threat level will just keep going up later. If the threat hits a certain point, uh, you lose the game. It also, as the threat goes up, different enemies can come out and they'll attack you. So managing threats important. and in the early games, you know the kind of training games, as it were, It's not really a big deal because it's kind of preset for you. But tweaking it later, building your decks, adjusting to make sure you fit where you think that this particular scenario is going to be, that's all very important. And each of the different types of heroes and decks are very different in play. So, you know, you might, if you're playing with one type of deck where you have a bunch of dwarves and it's very militaristic, you're going to take a lot of damage, but you have a lot more health, but you're going to deal a lot more damage. Whereas in some of the other decks, you have to heal a lot. So you're going to keep your health up, but you may not be dealing enough damage or even getting enough of those progress tokens to actually move towards the the quest objective. You know, there's a lot of rules here. I don't want to get into all the fiddliness of the game, but generally speaking, this was really fun, and it really does feel like you're playing through these scenarios. Quests kind of outline what you're doing and why you're doing it. The base game, you're actually playing between the sagas of the Lord of the Rings. You're not actually playing the actual books although I think they do have expansions where you can play through the different books. But most of the core stuff is just based in the world of Middle-earth and just kind of exploring that lore. And to me, that's really cool. It's a competitive game, so it's all about survival and working together and combating, you know, the trying to complete the quests that are put in front of you.
1: I actually got a chance to play this game a long time ago at Myriad Games, and it was fun. I really did enjoy it. And it's it's the gameplay plays very intuitive, which is really hard when you have this AI kind of in play. Sometimes it's a little wonky. This actually plays pretty nicely.
0: Yeah, it's very elegant and very seamless. Like what things attack and why it all makes sense. There's no like you don't have to reference a spreadsheet to figure out what everything's doing.
1: And since it's Lord of the Rings, when you see these packs come out, you're like, I want to go on that adventure, and I want to go on that adventure. <laughs> and it's like, I need to stop because there's too many adventures to go on.
0: Yeah, I know. And right now they're up to, I think there's like 50 or something. It's ridiculous.
1: <sighs> it's really, it's, it would be very easy to lose yourself on all, the, all those packs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's several hundred dollars worth of stuff to buy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so another game that's hitting my table would be Carcassonne, the 10th year special edition that came out in 2011 now carcassonne is a classic game you've probably either played it or seen it in play at some point this 10th anniversary edition is unique because a couple of reasons first off if you've ever seen the box the box is actually shaped as a giant meeple so if you ever go into a board game store and you see a giant blue meeple it's probably the carcassonne 10th anniversary uh, edition of this game Second, the the components in this game, now the tiles are pretty standard. You're not going to see really anything different. There are some special tiles for the 10th Anniversary Edition, but what's unique is the meeples, which are all different colors, are actually translucent. So when you place them down, let's say as a farmer, you can actually still see the board pretty well. So that's pretty nice. The score track is, once again, the same shape. It's a large meeples. So it's a very good addition for the extra tiles. it's a good addition for the beautiful kind of translucent colorful meeples the scoring track it's a beautiful addition. it is a nightmare to put this on your shelf somewhere because it obviously does not stack <laughs> you know it's really awkward to even put next to something and it kind of It's even kind of unbalanced. And if you don't put everything exactly in the right way, it doesn't fit back in the box.
0: Yeah, those are always tough. I used to always think that when I'd see, like, the special edition DVD box sets uh, that are, like, shaped like a character from the movie or the show. And I would... It was like, that looks really cool. I don't want to put that on my shelf. (laughs) Where's it going to (laughs) go? I think one of the seasons of the simpsons the only way to buy it was with the like homer's head shape oh boy and at a certain point they actually made it so you could send it in and get the box instead oh people complained about it they're like i want a box it doesn't fit
1: well you know carcassonne is such a classic game it's it's something that you probably should have in some form on your shelf i was lucky enough to pick this up on sale at barnes and noble and i was like Sure, I'll get this. It's it. You know, it seems so iconic, the, you know, the meeple shape. You know, clearly it comes from Board Gamers Anonymous logo, but nonetheless,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Carcassonne could have it too. It's fine. You know, we're not going to sue them or anything because that would be really rude and people would be upset and that would be wrong, totally wrong if you people did that, but we won't do that because we're cool and you're cool too, so... Uh, but it's it's the standard Carcassonne game, you know, you're putting knights in the castles, you're putting farmers down, you're putting robbers, you're scoring points. If you have not played Carcassonne, I would highly recommend trying it. It it's a great gateway game. I would avoid the app right now because it's still at a $10 price level, which to be honest with you, you can pick up the base game of Carcassonne, the physical copy for about 10-15 bucks. So, you know, the real version of it and I think you'll enjoy it.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a classic. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, in this week's featured verses, we bring you two cardboard competitors bent on beating the bits out of each other. Which one will remain supreme? Let's find out. All right, for this week's verses, we're talking about King of Tokyo versus King of New York.
0: No, no, don't let them fight. No, let them
1: fight. <laughs> Our first competitor is Richard Garfield's 2013 smash hit, King of Tokyo. In King of Tokyo, you're going to get a monster standy and roll dice in a Yahtzee mechanic. So you'll roll these six dice, and if you get a claw, you'll be able to attack if you're Outside Tokyo, you attack the monsters inside. If you're inside Tokyo, you attack the monsters outside. If you roll a heart, you'll be able to heal, but only if you're not in Tokyo. In addition to that, you'll get little lightning bolts, which symbolize energy, which will allow you to purchase cards that will give you special abilities, and then there'll be a 1, a 2, and a 3. If you roll 3 of a kind, you will get that number points, so 1 point two points, or three points, and any additional numbers that are matching those three of a kind, you'll gain an additional point. As I said earlier, there are cards that give you special abilities, some for defense, some for attacking, some temporary, and some that you keep throughout the game. That's pretty much it for King of Tokyo. Light, simple, fun, and plays pretty much with everybody. Now, our second competitor is 2014, Richard Garfield, King of New York. Now, King of New York is obviously very similar to King of Tokyo. Same thing. You're getting your standees. You're getting your dice. You're using your Yahtzee mechanic. You have your claw to hit. You have your heart to heal. But this time, you can't heal in Manhattan because the board is expanded. You're going to be playing the five boroughs of New York City. In this game, Manhattan plays the place of Tokyo. You'll also get Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens and the Bronx, and throughout the game, you'll be able to move around in order to smash buildings that'll give you victory points, it'll give you healing, and it'll give you energy throughout the game. Now, instead of the one, two, and three, you'll be able to roll destruction that destroys those buildings, you'll be able to roll celebrity, which are these stars which count towards the victory points at the end of the game, and you'll also be able to roll ouches. Now, ouches are really interesting because When you roll ouches, what you'll be able to do is damage yourself or monsters in your area, or if you roll all three, you'll be able to hit monsters everywhere. I should mention there's a Statue of Liberty card because if the Statue of Liberty sees that you're taking out all the other monsters, she'll jump in to support you. If you roll three celebrity stars, then you'll receive the Superstar card, and then every star after which, you'll score that star victory point. So as you can tell, King of New York has some additional dimensions to it, and it has those little tokens in each of the boroughs that you'll be able to destroy, and they'll be able to attack you back. So that's pretty much it for King of Tokyo and King of New York. Now let's head back to Anthony and see which of these monster games by Richard
0: Garfield reigns supreme. I've seen King of Tokyo around on sale in various places, and it's always been tempting because it's a game I like. I like it a lot. It's, a, you know, one I've always wanted to own and it just never quite made it into my shopping cart. Um, and so with King of New York coming out, I've been holding out and holding out and holding out and holding out until I got a chance to play it and so I could make my decision based on the actual differences between the two games. So, you know, this episode would have come in very handy. Um, the <laughs> Having played King of New York, I'm glad I waited because it is in almost every single way a better game than King of Tokyo not not in a sense that makes King of Tokyo a bad game just that this is a refinement of that game like it's the same designer and he's obviously took his own game and he found ways to improve upon it, add new depth build out new possibilities and options that were not in that original game um, streamlined it a little bit made it a little faster, made it a little more aggressive um, and I think all of these things make it better. Like, there's nothing... None of the changes, in my opinion, made it a worse game. Um, There are more things you can do at any given point in time. You're never stuck in any one position. And yet the core mechanic that made King of Tokyo so much fun, like that Yahtzee-style dice rolling and the kind of of in-the-city, out-of-the-city combat mechanism, it's still there. And... If you want to play just exactly the same as you would in King of Tokyo with new characters, you totally could. You could not put the buildings out and ignore it. like It would not be as fun, but you could do that. And that's that's still intact, but there's so much more depth here.
1: Anthony, when King of Tokyo came out, it was a big hit at the store. Everybody was playing it. We even had tournaments around this game. And it just brought in a lot of people, whether they were a hardcore gamer or they were just a new gamer to the hobby, is there any chance that for you or for people that are maybe not hardcore gamers, that the extra buildings and the different combinations here will actually keep casual gamers away from this?
0: I could see that. I mean, I've heard that argument a few times now that, um, you know, maybe King of New York's a little too aggressive, a little too thinky. Um, I don't think it's so much so that I wouldn't play it with casual gamers. Um, that one little bit of extra mechanic, the you know, that having to keep track of stuff, I could see that being just one extra hurdle when you're trying to get somebody into the game. King of New King of Tokyo takes almost no time to teach, especially if you're just playing the base game without the power-up expansion. All it is is Yahtzee. <laughs> like, sure, you roll the dice, and half the dice are numbers, and it's literally Yahtzee, um, which is great because everybody knows that game. It's easy to teach. It's quick and easy and then you have these cool monsters and they're fighting each other and that part's not pasted on but it's kind of just almost an expression of what you're doing king of new york manages to go beyond that and use kind of the same dice mechanism but build it into a bit more of a strategy game so where you move on the board will have an impact which of the dice you keep will have an impact there's kind of a push your luck element to things um with those ouches you know, you want to keep rolling. Like, getting three is great, but if you only get one or two, it can hurt you. Um, I mean, it's going to hurt you no matter what, but you want to make sure it hurts everybody else at the same time. The so There's more strategy to it. And so, you know, if I was going to say one, one over the other, I, you know, I don't think it loses anything. I think if you're playing with, like, six or seven-year-olds, then I would probably go with King of Tokyo. Um, you know, if you have a family with young children, or if you know that's, you know the kind of audience you're going to play with is super, super casual gamers, King of Tokyo might still be a better game for you. But as a game, strategically speaking, King of New York is better.
1: I really like the additions added to King of New York. The opportunity to destroy buildings is very thematic. It's very movie monster kind of destroy, destroy, exterminate, exterminate. Maybe there could be a Dr. Hugh expansion in this. I don't know. But (laughs) it really has a lot of flavor to it. And it really does feel like New York with these giant buildings that you're destroying and the military showing up And it brings a lot more aggressive play in here because when you play King of Tokyo, it's completely likely, and actually more likely, that you win based upon a victory star point, you know, conclusion instead of knocking the other monsters out. Sometimes knocking the other monsters out only makes you a bigger target.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because we had that King of Tokyo tournament uh, back in June. I guess it was a year and a half ago now, June of 2013. And the whole I actually won like almost every match, but that final match, um, it was a star victory, and if whoever won hadn't won, there was like two other people right behind him in stars, and I was like, "Whoa, that wasn't even close to knocking you all out yet. Like you can easily kind of sneak in the back end on those things, especially with the cards you start building up. So sure, it's King of Tokyo was just as easy to to play and win non aggressively, as aggressively. I think it's still possible with King of New York, but it's definitely going to depend on the roles a lot more. And uh, with multiple players, if you're playing with like four or five people or even up to six, it's going to be really rough not to get hit because a lot of buildings are going to be broken and it's going to be very dangerous to live wherever you're standing <laughs> at any point. You're going to die very quickly if you're trying to get up to 20 points.
1: Yeah, and it's that additional mechanic where, you know, at some point... Military is going to be everywhere and you're going to get hit. But what's also nice is there's a lot of opportunity to heal, a lot of opportunity to get energy. And most importantly, which I know was an early criticism of the game, there's a lot of opportunities to get more cards. I mean that, you know, trying to get enough energy to buy one card took two or three rounds. And now because you're getting energy because you're moving through Manhattan or you're destroying buildings or you have special abilities, you know, you're, we, we had a lot of cards going in that game really early on.
0: Yeah, which is awesome because you want to see the cards, you know? You don't want to sit and play a game and see one or two cards and then see all these awesome cards come up and you're like, I could never afford that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I know there was a lot of variance, you know, made by players where you would start with a card or the cards would be cheaper or you would start with a couple of, you know, energy to begin with. But King of New York kind of solves that problem, which is really nice to see.
0: Yeah, it's funny because it's, it's really what it is. Is You know, Garfield made a really good game that had a few small, not flaws even, just like things that hindered the game from being as good as it could be, and King of New York fixes those things, so it's a better game.
1: Yeah, I think King of Tokyo still plays better with an entry-level type of group, but I guess if you just treated Manhattan like you would Tokyo, and maybe if, if you didn't put out the buildings... It kind of plays similar. I mean, I'm a little disappointed that the dice weren't a different color, that there weren't more iconic monsters for the King of New York. We don't see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man here. You know, (laughs) New York has been attacked by some of the greatest monsters, I'll have you know. And I'm proud of that as being a New Yorker, that we survive all of those fictional monster attacks. Now, you can take the standees, you can take the player boards from King of Tokyo and the other expansions that played in here. You can't take the dice because there's no... the one, twos, and threes don't play here. You wouldn't have the ouches, you wouldn't have the destruction. So it's a little different. You don't have the celebrity, of course... And while you probably could use some of the cards would would work here in King of New York, a lot of the cards do rely on those one, twos and threes. So you wouldn't be able to mix the decks together without being very, very careful here.
0: Yeah, that'd be rough. There might be a few cards that'd be fine, but I think most of them would you know, imbalance the game.
1: So I think for both of us, and I, I think we agree, right, Anthony, that uh King of New York wins the battle of the kings, of the Yes. Yes, this is definitely the one I will pick up. All right, so that is our feature review. And now, our final round. And now, our final round. All right, for our final round this week, we're going to talk about our gaming resolutions for 2015. Anthony, why don't you start us off on this new year with a great new resolution?
0: All right, so gaming resolutions... uh, so I'm going to, probably both of us are going to stick steer clear of the very obvious resolutions of play more games or buy less games. or <laughs> You know what's going to happen. We'll play plenty of games, we'll buy even more, and then <laughs> we'll keep recording about it. For me, what I really want to do this year, and uh, you know this kind of extends across a couple different games, but just in general, <laughs> it's just kind of get that one game that it just kind of really get into and we talked about lord of the rings card game a little bit earlier and that's honestly it's one of the ones i've been thinking about but really any there could be any number of games where you just kind of not master it but just dive into it to a level where you just really get the feel of how to play in different areas and different levels you know i don't do a lot of the lifestyle type games i don't have x-wing or i mean i have x-wing i don't play (laughs) x-wing um (laughs) or attack wing or magic or any of that. And that's like the level of dedication. A lot of people reach on those. And I just think it'd be really cool to find that, you know, level of understanding and fun with the kind of game that isn't like hyper competitive for, I don't want to murder somebody, <laughs> but maybe something I can paint or like optimize to a certain level. Um, there's plenty of games I enjoy at that level. And I just don't get a chance to play very much. Like war of the ring would be great, but it's tough to play. So something I can play solo, um, so maybe, you know, like Lord of the Rings card game would be great. Um, you know, if and again, if I get to play more games with groups, then there are plenty of other games on that list. <laughs>
1: that's great. So for me, I, as you said earlier, I'm not going to go with the resolution to not buy more games because we know that's complete folly. That's going to last about five days and then cool stuff in miniature market are going to throw some sale up there. I'm going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> so I'm not going to go there. but. There is a caveat. I'm going to say for me not to buy the expansions until I have played the base game out. When you see a great game and you see the expansion come out like days behind it, you're like, of course I have to have the expansion. (laughs) We must play that. But sometimes, just sometimes, maybe it's okay just to play the base game a couple of times (laughs) first before you throw the expansion in there. No matter how much people are talking it up play the base game first a couple of times, then you put the expansion in.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I've been holding off on buying a couple of expansions of late for that very reason. I'm like, no, 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 no. Finish the base <laughs> game, or at least play it a few more times, like more than twice, before you upgrade it. Alright. Um, okay, so I mean, that's, I mean, I agree on that one for sure. Um, so, and the other one for me is, uh, and this is going to go, uh, hopefully we've already met this resolution, but Uh, getting to more events, specifically, you know, we want to get to Gen Con in July. Getting to that event especially, but hopefully even maybe finding another event, being able to hold something else in the fall again, like we did for Extra Life this year. Having more events with gamers locally where we can get out and meet new people and interact with listeners and other podcasters. Um, That's one of my big goals for this year is to make sure that happens and to not forget for so long that the tickets are already sold out and I can't find a hotel. <laughs> Definitely. And I think along
1: that same line, for me, I want to get some of these Grail games off my list. So the Twilight Imperium 3, the Eclipse, the Rune Wars. I mean, some of these games we touched on, we played a little bit, but I really want to set up in advance activities that are just built around these large games like... Game of Thrones the board game I want to play these games I want to put a day and a half beso- you know aside just to set up play the game break it down and just have a really great conversation about it because that's what gaming is all about that really epic experience that in this board game format you accomplish something grand that you are part of something big and I game evolution and revolution has really hurt gaming for me because You know, when you get together with a group of people and you have three or four hours to put into gaming and it's just micro game, micro game, micro game, micro game, it's fine. But these fillers have filled up all of my prime gaming time that should go towards these epic games. So I want to get these epic games out there. I want to make sure they hit the table and and I really invest in these games instead of having these filler and micro games just eat up all my time.
0: Yes, yes, I like that. Stupid fillers. And you always say <laughs> yes, because you're like, well, I don't dislike the game. But then two hours later, you're like, we've been playing Love Letter for 120 <laughs> minutes. I don't want to play this anymore. Uh, we could have played War of the Ring. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. I actually picked up the Game of Thrones board game from uh, the sale that uh, Miniature Market was having a couple, about a month ago and i don't know when i'm going to play it but i wanted to own it because i would like to play it and i don't know anybody who has it so it's on the checklist
1: that's great that'd be great to get out to the table even if we lose a few friendships It, you know it might be worth it
0: yeah well let's invite some people we already don't like be (laughs) fine it's that easy
1: that's that easy. That's all you have to do. Why were we worried about this before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go find some people at all. It's the perfect solution for games that ruin friendships. Just bring people you don't like.
0: Yeah. Make sure nobody has fun.
1: <laughs> all right. So that's our final round. All right. So that's our episode for this week. Be sure to keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, and our guild on BoardGameGeek. And until next time. This is Chris in Staten Island, Anthony in Brooklyn, and Daniel in Queens, and Drew up in the Bronx, and you, of course, in the top spot in Manhattan. All right. I'm happy here in Brooklyn. I am. I'm I'm chilling out in Staten Island. It's awesome here.
0: Yeah. I don't know how Drew got the short straw in the Bronx.
1: Oh, you're just saying that because
0: you don't like the Yankees. Yes, yes, that's very true. (laughs) There is no falsehood in that statement,
1: How about them Mets? (laughs) I'm not sure, but I'm not sure, but I think one of the expansion sets is an A-Rod monster that destroys the Bronx, so (laughs) he's definitely one of these creatures. I'm not sure which one, but I'm sure he's in here
0: somewhere. Yeah, maybe a building with the uh, the legacy of the Yankees. The the A-Rod monster will have plus two power. As he he
1: crushes the the Yankee pride in tradition. (laughs) Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero
0: Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has 0 grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish Sandwich all day.